I've been thinking a lot about this, and, and here's what I've been thinking. Do you know how to solve problems? Do you know how to solve problems? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you exactly how to solve problems from a spiritual standpoint, okay? Here is, here is the one answer that you need to know if you want to solve all of your problems. Stop trying to solve problems. Stop trying to solve problems. Problems are not the root. There is a deeper issue to the problems. And when you go below the problem to the root, that's when you really begin to do the deep work of fixing things. In other words, there, there's not a, people don't have a, a problem fighting in their marriage. The problem is a broken theology of marriage. The problem is a broken understanding that you're there to serve me and I'm here, or I, uh, you're there to make me happy and I'm here to be pleased by you and, and that's it. There's, there's a broken thing beneath the surface of it. And it's, it's the same thing if we go of like a fear of abandonment. There's, there's a deeper thing below a fear of abandonment and that's a misunderstanding of salvation. Because if you really understood the, the core theology of salvation is this, that God came, God redeemed, God rescued you to be called his child, welcomed into his family, never to leave you or forsake you, never to abandon you. When you understand that, then all of a sudden the fear of abandonment gets solved. And I feel like what we're about to dive into with suffering, and we talk about suffering, is something that has been left at the surface for so long that it's something Something we're afraid of, we avoid at all costs, we think it's bad every time, and there's the deep work that happens with a solid theology of suffering is not occurring because all we do is leave it up here and we avoid it or we try to fix the problems that it creates. But I want to share this with you. This is 1 Peter 4, 1 through 6. And this has been brewing in my spirit. I don't know how many weeks I've been off. I think I've been off for two weeks, and two weeks I've had this, and I've been thinking, I'm preaching this when I get back. I'm preaching this when I get back. Listen to what Peter says about suffering. He says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. So think about this now. He's saying, Christ suffered for you. This is the mindset that you should have. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Amazing to think about. Think about what Peter just said. Peter just said, if you have suffered in the flesh, you've ceased from sin. If you haven't suffered, then there's something that you're missing in order to completely be finished with sin. He continues on. Then I no longer should live the rest of his time. Then, then he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. So once you suffer, you start living for something different. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Verse 4, in regard to these, listen to this, this is funny. They think it strange that you, that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. In other words, here's what he said. You figured out the value of suffering. You quit partying, drunkenness, lewdness, and everything else, and now your friends are looking at you saying, why don't you go out with us anymore? What's happened to you? What is wrong with you now? Like, wh what has gone on with you? You used to be the life of the party, and now you're boring. Now you really do Netflix and chill. 
you really do like relax and don't, don't go and do everything that we're doing right. And so then verse 5, he says, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Verse 6, for this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Here is what's so interesting. Consider the author for a moment, right? Peter was someone who avoided suffering, and now he's talking about valuing it. You remember his exchange with Jesus, right? Matthew chapter 16, 21 through 23. It says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly, this is crystal clear to you, that it was necessary. What did he say? This is necessary for me to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. Jesus said, listen up, disciples. This is a very necessary thing. I'm going to Jerusalem, and I am going to suffer. Then he said he would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Verse 22, look who it is. But Peter jumps in, took him aside, and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven Forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. He says, I'm going to go suffer. And Peter says, no, you're not. Heaven forbid you suffer. Verse 23, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. What was a dangerous trap? trap to Jesus, believing that he didn't have to suffer. What was the dangerous trap? He says, get away from me, Peter. You are a dangerous place for me to go. That dangerous place for him to go was to believe that he didn't have to suffer. Jesus continues on. He's, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap for me. Listen to this. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view. What is the mere human point of view? Shouldn't suffer. No suffering. God forbid that should ever happen to you. He said you're seeing things only from a human point of view, not from God. He's saying God has a different view. Remember what Peter said, arm yourselves with this mind. Peter is saying to him, you're not going to suffer. God forbid that should ever happen to you. And Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. That is a dangerous place for my mind to go. You know, it is a dangerous place for your mind to go to avoid suffering at all costs. There's, it's promised to you in scripture. He says, you are a dangerous place for me to go to because you're only thinking like a mere man and not of God. And then Jesus goes further. He, he goes further and he says, take up your cross. And he teaches a profound lesson on suffering. A few verses later, he says, take up your cross and follow me. For he who wants to save his life will lose it. But he who loses their life for my sake, then they will find it. So he's saying, you're going to suffer. It's appointed unto me to suffer. Peter says, no, don't do it. He said, Peter, that's a dangerous trap. That is Satan speaking out of you. You're thinking like a man, not like God. Here's how God sees it. You want to save your life? Pick up your cross. 
bear the same suffering that I have. Look at this for a second. When Peter avoided sin, when Peter avoided suffering, what happened? He fell into sin. When Peter avoided suffering at all costs, I recognize you. You have the same accent as Jesus. You were with him the other night. What does Peter do? Not me. You didn't see me with him. When he's avoiding suffering, he's falling into sin. What happens when he values suffering? 1 Peter 4.1 tells you. What's he finished with? What happens when he takes up the value of it and he says, you know what? There's a deeper work that could happen here. There's something greater that God could do. When he avoided suffering, he fell into sin over and over and over. When he valued suffering, he was finished with it. He was done with it. He was beyond living for himself, and he started living for God. Here is what I think the challenge is. I think the the language that we use mixes us up. You you know, in early church history, uh, Christianity was synonymous with suffering. Like, it was just, there was, there, you said Christian, you were a sufferer. They just knew that you were going to suffer, be it the wrath of the Roman Empire, be it the wrath of Nero, or whatever was coming their way. Christianity at one point was synonymous with suffering. And then post-enlightenment, all the way to a, a Western theology, really, that says suffering is bad at all costs. Avoid it at all costs. It has nothing to do with God. Is that what Jesus just said? We'll continue on and I'll show you. I think the problem is what we have associated the word with, with just horror and terror and terrible things all the time. What if we change the word suffering to healing? What if we changed it from you must suffer these things to you must heal these things? You must go through the process of healing to get there. My, my dad, he was a, he was a maniac Fishing machine. All, all he did was fish all the time. And he, he fished with rod and reel, but he also had lines that he ran, jugs that he ran. He was doing limb lines and rivers and all kinds of stuff. I mean, my dad was a fishing machine, and he loved to catch catfish. And I remember he had just come home from running his lines, and he had a bunch of gigantic catfish. And he gets out there, and he, he starts to clean them. And he's like, come here, boy, come here, boy. And he's like, we're going to clean these fish, and we're going to eat them for dinner. And I was like, wow, look at all the fish. And he picks a fish up. I'll never forget it. He sets it on the cleaning table. He takes a ball-peen hammer, and he goes, boom, and pops it right on the head. And the thing goes, you know, stiff because he didn't want it flopping around while he was cleaning it. Sorry for all you catfish lovers, right? He takes, and then he starts cleaning. He cuts it open, flips it over. He's just filleting these things. And I'm watching him, and I'm like, you know, like I'm a kid. I'm, I'm about to throw up everywhere. And then he fillets all these catfish. He puts them in a bowl. He's got them soaking. He goes inside. I'm scarred. I'm like, man, Dad smashed that fish with a hammer and filleted it up. Like, Dad's crazier than I thought, right? Next time he says, I'm getting a whipping, I'm like, okay, go ahead. You know, like, so he, he gets inside and he batters up the fish. He fries the fish and he's so excited about it. He comes to the table. We all gather around. He said, all right, tonight we're having and Hillsdale catfish for dinner. And I was like, no, no. I saw what those things were. I saw what you did to the inside of those things. Like, I want nothing to do with it. And my dad was so mad. 
so mad. He was like, just try, try a bite. This is Hillsdale catfish. I caught all these. I filleted all these. I battered all these. I fried all these. And I would not touch it. I remember my dad telling me the story. Boy, I want to whip your butt so bad. I was so mad. So here's what my dad did. Next time he went out, he came back, and I really didn't know that he had gone out, caught some fish, and came back, and he comes up, and he's like, dinner's ready, and he gathered everyone around, and he said, tonight, we're having Hillsdale chicken for dinner. I was like, oh, cool. I can get on board with Hillsdale chicken. So I sat down, and I took a piece of Hillsdale chicken. Oh, it was fried real good. It was just crispy and golden. I was dipping it in ketchup. I was hammering it. I was eating it like crazy. I wanted more. I was asking for seconds. And then all of a sudden, my daddy said, how'd you like that Hillsdale chicken, son? I said, oh, Dad, it was the best thing. I absolutely love it. And he said, okay, well, now I want to tell you something. I said, yeah. He said, that was Hillsdale catfish. <laughs> what? You know, I've been eating fried fish ever since. Why? Because once I tasted it, what it was called no longer mattered to me. Uh, can I just tell you, once you taste the healing that can happen with suffering, what it's called will no longer bother you. You'll no longer be scared when I say, let's talk about suffering. It'll no longer be, oh, I, don't, I don't want to go there. I don't know if I can go there. I don't know if I'm willing to go there. Once you taste the healing that is involved with suffering, it doesn't matter what we call it. It doesn't matter how we change the words for it or anything else. You won't be able to get enough of it. Because the healing work of God happens in the deepest places through suffering. Let me give you a theological statement that we will write all of it. If you, if you haven't written anything down, you don't want to write anything down, write this down. This is one sentence that clarifies our theology of suffering. Here you go. Suffering is a choice that brings me closer to Jesus and calls me into holy living. Three things. Suffering is a choice. It is something that we choose. Suffering is a choice that brings me closer to Jesus and calls me into holy living. One more time, because I think it's important. Suffering is a choice that brings me closer to Jesus and calls me into holy living. Let's talk about the first part. Suffering is a choice. 1 Peter 4.1. He says, Therefore... Since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. What was Christ's mind when it came to his suffering? What was he thinking? He tells us in John 10 verse 18. He says, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. I choose to go through this. No one's taking it from me. I choose this path of suffering. For I have authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. We're to arm ourselves with that same mindset. We're about to celebrate Easter, and I'm excited for Easter, but I think we forget this. The Christian life is both cross and resurrection. It's, it's both. It's not one or the other. It's cross and resurrection. It is suffering 
and healing, and both of them conform us into the image of Christ. Listen to Paul's language here. 2 Corinthians 4, 11 through 12. He says, yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. Life, death, life, death. He continues, so we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. In theology, this is called the cruciform life. And here's what the cruciform life is. The cruciform life is when the cross goes beyond teaching us that Jesus died for us and it begins instructing us on how to live. We go beyond realizing the cross is the place where Jesus died and we start realizing that the cross instructs us on how we're to live. Hear me. If we don't choose to suffer righteously with Christ, we will suffer in toxicity by ourselves. If we don't make the choice to suffer righteously with Christ, we suffer in toxicity with ourselves. John 16, 33. Here is is the heart. This is the hope behind the suffering that we choose to embrace. John 16, 33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Here it is. In this world, you will have trouble. Circle that and run the Greek. It's often translated for suffering. Say, in this world, you will have suffering. You will have trouble. Make no mistake about it. You will. But take heart. I have overcome the world. When I choose to suffer with Christ. I am choosing to partner with the only one who can overcome the suffering that I'm experiencing. I am, when I choose, when I say, you know what, I'm not going to suffer by myself. I'm not going to suffer toxically. I'm going to suffer with Christ, and I'm going to turn this into an offering for him, and I'm going to turn my heart to him, and I'm going to choose to follow him through this suffering. What I am doing is I'm saying I am choosing to partner with the one who has overcome everything that I will experience so that one day I will be in a place where there is no suffering, there is no tears, there is no pain, there is no sorrow, there is no heartbreak, but there is joy, there is worship, and there is life, and it lasts forever. But it's a choice that we have to make. We arm ourselves with the same mind. What was Jesus' mind? No one's doing this to me. I'll do it myself. I'll offer myself up and choose to do it. You know, I remember we, we went on a cruise, our first cruise. My grandparents paid for it. And while we were there, uh, man, that's like, I don't know, taking the Beverly Hillbillies to Beverly Hills. You know what I mean? It's like we, we showed up there, and I'd never been on anything like that in my life. And we got to the cruise, and the first thing we found out we had heard all the time is the food was free. So I was, I was eating like a poor kid that didn't know where my next meal came from, right? I was just grabbing all the pizza, all the soft serve, back to the pizza, and then back to the buffet. I got all the food I could eat. And then at night, went back to the buffet, hammered the buffet. And then in the morning, we would go to the breakfast buffet, do the same thing. And I remember walking by the dining area and seeing all these people dressed up. And I was like, yeah, that's... That's not me. That's way too expensive for us. I'll stick with the free buffet, right? And then we were in the morning, the, the, buffet, or the breakfast buffet was in where the, the main dining room was. So we were sitting in there, and someone asked us, they said, did you guys, did you guys enjoy dinner last night? 
Like, oh man, the pizza? It's like day three of straight pizza. It's great. Soft serve is unbelievable. He said, no, are you guys coming to dinner in here? I remember I was like, no, that's way too high class and probably way too expensive for us. And he said, no, no, no. He said, it's, it's free. It's included. The only thing you have to do is choose whether you want to eat dinner here or you want to stick with the buffet. And all of a sudden, my, my life kind of opened up. And I remember thinking, wait, you talking about cloth napkins? You talking about real silverware? You talking about glass plates? You talking about glass cups with the stem on it and they put the water in it, right? And they give you fruit to go with it? You're not talking about these plastic cups and these whatever they are, plates. You know what those plates are. They feel like glass, ceramic, and everything all mixed into one. But it was just a choice. It's all it was. We thought it was something else, but it was just a choice that we had to make to enter into a place we didn't think we belong, to experience something better than what we were experiencing already. That's all that suffering is. It is a choice to enter into a place of healing that is going to feed you and nourish your soul so much better than what you're getting by avoiding it and suffering all on your own. The first part of the sentence, right? Suffering is a choice. Now we get to the good stuff. That brings me closer to Jesus. Jesus said it himself, Matthew 10, 35-45. It says, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. Isn't this interesting? What is your request? He responded. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in the place of honor next to you. One on your right and the other on your left. Isn't that amazing? Hey, will you do one thing for us, Jesus? When you're on the throne, can we participate in your glory? Hey, when you're on the throne, can we have your victory? Hey, I mean, we do the same thing, right? All I want is the victory. All I want is the victory. All I want is the answer. All I want is the mountaintop. All I want is your right hand. All I want, we sing things like in the whatever and in the pit. And right when you say it, you're like, did I just really say pit? Yeah, God is still good, but am I even, am I even talking about that? Am I even really declaring that even, I don't, I don't want to be in the pit. They didn't either. They said, I don't want to be in the pit. Hey, when you go to glory, can I go to the top with you and listen to what Jesus says? Verse 38, but Jesus said to them, you don't know what you are asking. You have no clue what you're saying right now. Are you able to drink From the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Hear that? He said to to have identity with me in victory, you have to identify with me in suffering. If you want identity in me at the glory, at the mountain top, you have to identify with me in suffering. You can't just have the right hand. You can't just have the seat at the right hand without taking the cup of suffering. He continues, Mark 10, 39-45. Oh yes, they replied, we are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say to you who will sit on my right or who will sit on my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had said, they were indignant 
Verse 42, so Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them, but among you it will be different. What did he say? He said, You know on earth everyone boasts about their authority. Everyone boasts about their high position of victory. Everyone boasts about what they have going on here. But Jesus said, among you, it will be different. That's us. Among us, it should be different. What does he say? Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. Make no mistake, servant and slave were roles of suffering. They were roles of suffering. He's saying, if you want the mountaintop, you got to take up the cross. If you want the very top up here, you have to be willing to go down here. He totally reframes for them everything that they thought that it meant to be his follower. He was saying, they were saying, hey, give us the glory. And he said, you can have the glory if you will identify with me in suffering. But if you're not willing to go here, you can't make it here. We reject suffering and embrace victory. Jesus said the exact opposite. You want victory... That's great. Can you drink my cup? You want victory? That's great. Will you take up your cross? You want victory? That's beautiful. Can you be a servant or can you be a slave? There are three types of suffering when it comes to suffering. I want to clarify for you what they are. So consider this a quick little break as we touch down on what it means to suffering and bringing me closer to Jesus. I'm going to give you three categories. One is there's sin suffering. And within sin suffering, here are some biblical examples I put down for you. Uh, within sin suffering, number one is creation. Adam, you see Adam sinned, and then all of creation inherits the sinfulness of Adam. The Lord said, I will, you know, I will make you now till the fields and everything else. So there's the creation suffering. There's disciplinary suffering. Deuteronomy chapter 28, God clearly says to the children of Israel, if you're disobedient, you will suffer the consequences of this book. There's collective suffering. Collective suffering is the nation of Israel. They decided to be sinful, they decided to be rebellious together, and because of that, they suffered the consequences of their sin. And then there's consequential suffering. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. So we have one category of suffering, and it's sin suffering. There's another category, it's innocent suffering. This is a, a victim can be part of this. This is David and Saul. David was a victim of Saul who just wanted to kill him. It was, it was just innocent suffering. What is happening in Ukraine, it's innocent suffering. It is just suffering as a victim. There's demonic suffering. That was Job, Satan's attack on Job. It's demonic suffering. It is the devil coming against, innocently attacking, and someone suffering. There's empathetic suffering. That's when someone is just going through something Hard. tragedy is empathetic suffering. Jesus wept over this. Jesus said, mourn with those who mourn. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.3, he's the father of mercies and the God of all comfort for people who go through this. There is just that suffering that we can't wrap our minds around and it grieves our heart and it is an empathetic suffering. It's innocent suffering. The fourth is preventative suffering. In Hebrews 12, it said God disciplines those he loves. 
He's disciplining us. We're suffering in that discipline because he's trying to prevent us from doing something else. And then the third category is righteous suffering. Righteous suffering is probably um, the most difficult and the one that, that brings you to the deepest place of holiness. Number one is persecution. Jesus says, blessed are you when you are persecuted, right? Blessed are you when you are persecuted because you are, inherit the kingdom of God. Or it's, it's, we'll see the kingdom of God, I believe. But it's persecution, right? That's when you go to work and because you're a Christian and you won't take the sales meeting at the strip club with the other guys that are going, you either lose the account or you get fired right? That's persecution that happens. There's, that's righteous suffering. There's testimonial suffering. That was the Apostle Paul all the way. What did he say? These chains will bring people closer to Christ. Paul was suffering to bring people to Christ. There's providential suffering when it comes to righteous suffering. Providential is Joseph. Joseph suffered in prison so that he could get to the place in Egypt where he was a leader right next to Pharaoh. And then there's holiness suffering. That's what Peter was talking about. There is just not doing things you want to do because you want to be more holy because of it. It is just it's saying no to sin. It is saying no to following the lusts of the flesh. It is just saying, I would rather be holy than satisfied in and among myself. Those are the three categories. There's sin suffering. Let me ask you this. How many of you know somebody who in their sin is suffering and refuses to turn back to Jesus so they stay in the cycle of sin? right? That's sin suffering. How many of you know someone who is suffering innocently, had a tragedy hit them, and have abandoned the Lord, they're frustrated with God, they want nothing to do with church, and they're walking away from their faith? How many of you know somebody who is suffering righteously, and instead of resisting something they should resist, is indulging in it, and they're not willing to suffer righteously, and it's causing problems. When suffering occurs, be it sin suffering, innocent suffering, or righteous suffering, there is one direction all of it points to, and that is Jesus. Jesus. That's all that it's pointing to is Jesus. It's the one commonality with every piece of suffering that we can, exp we can explore. It points us back to Jesus. How many of you think that you're smarter than your GPS? Come on, let me see you. Wives, if he thinks he's smarter than his GPS, let me see. He think, I, I'm, I'm that guy. I'm that, I was driving the other day. Man, there's nothing more frustrating, is there? You see a traffic jam, and I'm that guy that's like, oh, no, I see a traffic jam, and I slice three lanes of traffic, and I take the closest exit, and I get on the feeder, and I'm heading on the feeder, and I'm staring at the traffic jam like, ah, you don't know what you're doing. I got it figured out, right? And then all of a the sudden, there's red lights down the feeder. And then I'm stuck on, you know what I'm talking about. You tried to outsmart the GPS because my GPS was saying, fastest route. And I'm like, you don't know nothing. I know where I'm going. I know these back roads. Siri don't know these back roads. I know where I'm headed. So then I'm sitting on the feeder and all of a sudden, what happens? Traffic jam opens up. They're flying down. I'm stuck, and I don't even know what exit it is, but there's that Chevron gas station there. I think you, you take that exit to go to Grand Ranch. I was stuck there at that silly little turnaround, whatever it was, forever I was stuck there. And I'm watching cars fly by because I thought I was slick and I knew my own route. When we, when we do the same thing with suffering, leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. I can handle this. I can take care of this. I don't need any help. I don't need any advice. I don't need any of this. All we're doing is taking the long route. 
all we're doing is taking, thinking we're outsmarting God with what we're going through. I'll tell you a story. Pastoring is crazy. It's just crazy. I was telling our, I think our team leaders this last week. I, went, I have gone through, and it usually happens just about every Sunday. On a Sunday morning, I will go death to life, engagement to divorce on a Sunday morning. I'll meet somebody who just lost somebody. They lost a family member, lost a spouse, lost a child, and they're broken, and they're hurting, and they need prayer. And then I'll see a newborn baby in the house for the first time. And they're excited, they're vibrant, they're lit up, everything's great. It's just such a mess of emotion. I'll see a young college couple that's engaged and they're excited and they're smiling. They want to know premarital information. And then I'll see another person who's alone without their spouse and they'll be coming to tell me, hey, we're no longer together, we're getting a divorce. And it's from here to here all the time. It's just, I get in my truck after Sundays and I sit there. I go get a nitro cold brew and I just kind of like try to, to figure out my own self, right? I'm like, should I be happy? Should I be sad? Should I be upset? Should I be mourning? Should I be thrilled? And, and you just experience these. And one of the things you constantly experience is people suffering. And I, I will never forget this. Uh, I knew a guy, two guys, both in their 30s. Both of them, their dads had cancer. And both of them were praying and believing God for healing, asking the Lord to heal their dads. They couldn't picture their life without their fathers. And here they are, and both of their dads died. And one of them decided to suffer with the Lord. And it was so heartbreaking to see, but it was so beautiful to see what God was doing through him. And how God was using him to heal. How God was using him to become a better man. How God was challenging him to let go of the ways of the world and realize what was more important and to strengthen his faith. The other guy that I knew, he disappeared for two years. He drank a bottle of Jack almost every day. I found him living in a camper totally isolated from everyone in his life, unwilling to come back to church, unwilling to walk, literally the same exact thing, but two paths to suffering. Suffering is designed to bring us into a deeper, closer, more intimate relationship with Jesus. And if we will choose to say, I may be going through the most difficult time of my life, but I'm going to go through it with Jesus. I am telling you, the end result is healing. If we say, I'm going through the most difficult time of my life and I don't want nobody, I don't need nobody, and I'll figure it out on my own, the end result is destruction. The end result is total decay. So we land here, last part of the sentence, and calls me into holy living. How does suffering end? It calls me into holy living. Listen to the language of Paul. You have them all in your notes. I'm going to read three of them, but there's, there's six or seven of them in there. Listen to what Paul says. When Paul talks about going to a place of holy living, I want you to hear what he says. He doesn't say, man, I'm getting holy because all I got is victory. I'm getting holy because all I do is live on the mountaintop. I'm getting holy because every day is a Friday. I'm getting holy because it's always good in my hood, right? No, listen to what Paul says. Galatians 5.24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. They are willing to go to the cross. They are willing to go to that place of suffering. Colossians 3, 3-5. 
He says, for you have died to this life. You're dead to this life. And your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death. He didn't say overcome and be victorious. He said put to death. Go to the place of suffering. Let it die. And let it die a crucified death. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy for a greedy person is an idolater worship, worshiping the things of this world. I love this verse, Galatians 2.20. My, my old self has been crucified with Christ. You see what he said? He said, hey, my, my, myself, I went to that place of suffering. How am I in victory? Because I'm willing to identify with the suffering. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's path to holiness was through crucifixion, was through the crucified life, was through the cross. His, his, his place of victory only came through suffering. Uh, just to get real personal with you, I, I remember when one of our children was was diagnosed with uh, something medically, and and it was it was heartbreaking. Man, I, I we never saw it coming. Um, never imagined this would be us, and yet here we are with this diagnosis. And I, I'm telling you, what what came afterwards was years of challenges, financial challenges, medical challenges, therapeutic challenges, just unbelievable. One, one day we'll, t we'll tell you all about it. But I, I remember going through all of that, just major, major challenges. And the Lord has done such a healing work. He's done such a beautiful work through all of this. And I have a friend who uh, his, his two boys are in, in the same boat. And so we talk often, and I was checking in with him. And I remember I called him, and I, hey, brother, no, 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 it was in person. I, I think it was here, actually. Uh, I saw him, and I said, hey, man, how are you? And he said, man, I'm good. Uh, God is good. And I said, how are your boys? And he told me how the boys are doing. And I told him, I said, I want you to know, I pray every day for mine and for yours to be healed. Every day I'm praying for mine, and I'm praying for yours to be healed. And he's, he's just seasoned, man, and Lord, he smiled. And he said, man, thank you so much. And he said, but I want to ask you a question. I said, yeah, what do you got? And he said, would you want to be the man you were before you had them? Man, it got me. He said, would you want to be the man you were before you had that child? And I remember thinking to myself, absolutely not. No way do I want to be that man. But you know why I don't want to be that man? It's not because of the little victories along the way. It's not because of the little healing miracles along the way. It's because of the hell that we went through. It's because of the suffering and the hard times and the challenges. I will tell you, nothing has brought me to a deeper place of humility Nothing has brought me to a more sacrificial place of myself. Nothing has brought me to my knees before the Lord, laying outside of a bedroom door on my face, just praying, God, do something. Nothing has done a work in me like it has been suffering through something with 
my child. Now, let me tell you this. Every day we still pray for healing. Every day we still beg God for healing. We believe healing is coming to our daughter, but I want you to know this. We believe healing is coming, and we, we even see these little bits and pieces of healing that is coming. But I would never trade the suffering for anything. Would never trade the suffering for anything. Because that is what's changed the deepest part of me. What does Jesus desire? Truth from the inward parts. What does he want? He wants this changed down here. And you don't get to hear until you go to hear. That's my prayer. That we would all say, you know what? We've gone through suffering and we wouldn't trade it for the world because God has done such a beautiful work through it. Let me read it to you one more time. Suffering is a choice that brings me closer to Jesus and calls me into holy living. 